Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, Melbourne-based beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a little recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island, aka Beauty Island, that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is Kathleen Ho, beauty director of The Cut. As the lifestyle, beauty, and fashion site of New York Magazine, it is easily one of my most visited websites. The content is sharp, smart, light, thought-provoking, nuanced, entertaining, and of course, informative. All descriptors that apply to Kathleen's work too. While in the midst of a worldwide lockdown earlier this year, I chatted virtually with Kathleen, me from Melbourne and her in New York, to talk about how she found the courage to pursue her passion for writing after starting her career in financial consulting, the concealer she's been buying since before she worked in beauty and is still yet to be beaten, the best eyelash colour anyone with straight lashes needs to own, her tried and tested travel makeup kit for carry-on, and finally the ultimate lipstick application hack from none other than makeup artist Pat McGrath that will give you fuller looking lips without lip liner. I know that that was all a mouthful, but honestly, Kathleen shared so many great tidbits and tips that these are just the starting point that I wanted to mention. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already, or recommend to a friend or even many friends by sharing a screenshot on your Instagram story. And don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. As an independent podcaster, those things really help more people to discover the podcast, which means that I can keep on making it for you. I also, if you want more beauty, I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty. The link to sign up is in the show notes of this episode. Now over to Kathleen. Enjoy. Kathleen, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to have you join me today. I have long been an admirer of your work, so it's very exciting to get to, I was going to say meet you in person, meet you via screen. It's the closest that we can get (laughs) in these times. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. I mean, this is how we're all meeting people nowadays, so... (laughs) A good place to start, I think, particularly with someone like you who beauty has become your career. Can you remember your first memory of beauty? So my I grew up with uh, my mom was always very, very into skincare. That was her thing. I don't really ever remember her applying makeup. She still doesn't really wear makeup to this day. One time I, I think I tried to do her makeup for a wedding and I tried to give her what I think was like a soft, smoky eye. And she was like, this looks terrible. Please take it off. So she's always been very into skincare. And I remember just, you know, while my dad would just go straight to bed, I always remember my mom being awake and taking time to put on her various lotions and her things. One of the things I remember her doing was taking, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the day, Elizabeth Art would have these little uh, capsules. They they kind of look almost like, like alien moisturizer sort of. It's like a little plastic thing. You open it, you screw it off, and then this like um, liquid comes out of it. And I think it's it's now, now that I, I know the official name, I think is like Elizabeth 
Arden, like Sarah Miracle or, or Ceramide product or something like that. But I always remember her putting them on. She brought them on every trip. One time when I was little, I stole some of it. I put it on. I asked her what would happen. <laughs> I confessed to her and she told me that it would make me look older. <laughs> I think that was just to <laughs> make sure I never stole any of her stuff again. Um, but she would put it on and then she'd give herself like a little face massage by like lightly slapping her face. So I just remember that was like my first beauty memory. <laughs> now, did you grow up in, in Jersey? Is that right? I did. I grew up in New Jersey. You've done your research. (laughs) So um, my parents uh, grew up in Taiwan. And then uh, after grad school, they moved to the US and they settled in New Jersey of all places. I think it was like a town that they had researched because that was supposed to have good school, good public school system and all that kind of stuff, which was really important to them. And so I spent my childhood in Jersey, born in the hospital in Jersey. And yeah. <laughs> and what did you think you would be when you grew up? What were your plans as, as young Kathleen? I don't know if I had plans. I know my parents had plans in a very stereotypical Asian way. Of course, they wanted it to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something of that nature. But I always wanted to be like something arts related. So I remember telling them that I I think I wanted to be like a ballet teacher or like an art teacher or something of that nature. But that was like more in like elementary school. I think once I was like in high school, it was like more going, trying to like meld my desires with their desires. So I think I tried to take some more science classes and see if that was good at them. Turns out I wasn't. Took some more math classes, see if I was good at those. Turns out I wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> I, I really tried the science thing, but it just didn't work out. But I do remember um, when I told my parents that I wanted to, to be a writer, uh, my mom was like, well, you clearly enjoy arguing. Maybe you should become a lawyer. So she always had hopes that <laughs> it could be one of those things. The second products on your list are the ones mm-hmm. from when you were, that defined your teens that you use when you're a teenager. And you have a few. We've got the Longcom Juicy Tubes, which I know you wrote about recently because they are <laughs> making a return, which is very exciting. They are back. <laughs> the yes. Bobby Brown cream blush and maybe some tinted clearasil as well. So tell me a bit more about (laughs) your memories of those three. Uh, So I wasn't allowed to wear any kind of makeup growing up. Um, I don't think I started wearing makeup until like, maybe I was like 22. It was even post-college. And true to the way my mom kind of like was with her skin, she was also very skin obsessed for me. But her thing was that like if I had a pimple or something like that, she didn't want me to put anything on it. She wanted it to like breathe. She wanted it to just kind of like have a life on its own. And this is the kind of advice that a lot of estheticians and like dermatologists tell you to do nowadays. Like don't pick at your skin. Like don't try to cover up your zit with like foundation or makeup. So now no matter how much I asked for it, she wouldn't get it to me. I think we we did manage to have a compromise and get some tinted clarisol. I don't know if you guys have clarisol in Australia, but it's basically this. We definitely used to. Yeah, it's basically you know the all-purpose kind of like anti-acne tube that uh, that white thing that everyone puts on to try and shrink their zits. And there was one that was tinted, but it was tinted like a light. I mean, I I, want to say it was maybe like light tan, but it was probably more closer to orange. And I remember thinking that that was like the compromise because it would be slightly tinted so it could kind of blend into my skin, quote unquote. It was not blending at all. Um, 
and a leader discovered that I had an allergic reaction to benzyl peroxide. So I can't ever use benzyl peroxide again. <laughs> so that I think was like my earliest memory of like a beauty product for myself. And then once I actually got to like buy things for fun, I think the other things I remember really loving were the Lancome Juicy Tubes, because I feel like we all had to collect them and have like a million colors. And although colors is again, not really color because they're mostly sheer and just like super shiny, but that was kind of like the, the thing that everyone wanted. And so it's kind of funny that they're back again. And then the other thing was, I remember looking at makeup and I think we were in the mall and one of my friend's moms who was like, very into shopping and was kind of like the fashion-y person. She had bought um, my best friend at the time, a Bobby Brown book. And it was a Bobby Brown, like hardcover book of makeup. And one of them, one of the things that was in the book was like a teenage makeup. And it was the first time that like, I ever like heard about teenage makeup because back in the day it was like going to the mall, they'd be like the drugstore counter, obviously. And then you'd see like all the luxury brands like Chanel, Dior, and those were like too intimidating. Mac, I was like, this is like for my mom who doesn't wear any makeup. Like there's no way I could leave the house with anything Mac. I was just like, I can't do that. Um, but Bobby Brown was like a, a little like counter that I always passed by. And when I saw the teenage makeup book or like the teen- the section that was in the book um, and like saw the kind of like subtle differences that like you can use with makeup. I think that was like probably the first time that I was introduced to the concept of no makeup makeup, although it wasn't called it back then, but that's kind of like what Bobby Brown um, became known for. So I remember going to the counter. I remember the person like applying a little bit of like cream blush from like a tube on my face. And I remember like just thinking that like having that additional bit of color um, really helps. And uh, I remember he told me to smile and then they like, put it on. And that's still like the number one tip that makeup artists have nowadays for for blush. You, you studied, so you studied finance and accounting and your first <laughs> yeah. career wasn't actually writing, which is obviously no. you are the, you are the beauty director of the cut now. So tell me a bit about that, what that first career was and how you made your way into media for that career pivot. Uh, like I said before, my parents always uh, had different ideas for me in terms of jobs. And it wasn't because they didn't love me or like because they wanted me to be miserable. It was just because they're very traditional in in our culture. It was just you get a job, not necessarily because you love it, but because um, you want your children to have stable incomes and you want them to be like, quote unquote, set up for life. Right. And things like having a, being a doctor or being a lawyer or like going into some kind of like financial related occupation those are just like things that they understand. Like they're things that they know are stable. There's jobs for them in every economy, no matter what. And um, it's something that I think that they felt like felt more quote unquote, like merit based more so than say something in like editorial or say like in magazines. So that's part of the reason why, even though I was always very interested in English and very interested in writing, I ended up majoring in finance and accounting in college. And so after that, you know, I ended up working in a financial consulting firm for a bunch of years and I was super, I was trying to reconcile kind of the, the idea of what I thought of as a job, right? Because I think that in Asian culture, again, it's thought of like, this is your job. You can have other hobbies. You work to support the rest of your life, right? And I feel like a lot of times in American culture and Western culture, I was feeling that pull where you should try to get your dream job. Like, 
you know, you can find this job that like fulfills you in all these different ways. And if you're lucky, you can find a job that like pays you well to sustain your lifestyle. And it's a job that you also like, that like sustains your, your, fulfills your life's passions. Right. And so after working in financial consulting for a few years, I just started to be really dissatisfied. I just didn't like it. I was dreading going to work every single day. I was probably a little bit depressed, although I didn't realize it at the time. And I just thought if I had to just do a job similar to this for the rest of my life, that I don't think that it would make me happy. And so I started to like explore other things. I was like, maybe do I want to go to the Peace Corps? Do I want to do this and this? I was trying to think of if I really could have any job in the world that I wanted, what would it be? And it was to go into magazines and to to be a writer there, which is something I'd always loved. I always loved reading magazines and I always just loved reading in general. I was really torn because first of all, I knew that at least your starting salary going into magazines would be really, really low. I don't think this gets talked about very often, but like a lot of times when you're starting out in magazines, especially as an assistant, you're making something like uh, 30,000 US dollars, perhaps like for the year, right? And that's not, and most of the magazine interests are based in New York. And without some kind of like help from other sources, like your parents or whatever, your family, it's really, it's pretty much, it's really difficult, if not impossible to have a job like that. Like, like even if you to take an internship like that, they're generally they used to be like full time internships, right? So it's not like you could have time at night to take another job or work something else to try and sustain your income. And so that was like a big struggle for me too, because I didn't I didn't know how that would work. I mean, I had some savings, but like not enough to sustain me to be an internship. And it was really frustrating at the time because like I I just I didn't know what to do. But I took a leave of absence from my job in financial consulting. Uh, I did a writing program. I met a few people there, including some like HR recruiters and stuff like that at the end when there was like a job fair. And some of them suggested that I get an internship. And again, like that was like very frustrating to me. But I, I got lucky in a bunch of ways. And one of the ways was that beauty blogs were taking off at the time. And it was like a thing in the sense that like we had all these traditional beauty magazines and fashion magazines that had beauty sections. But like similar to the way that like influencers now are disrupting magazines. Back then it was like beauty blogs were disrupting uh, beauty magazines and the beauty sections. And so my friend introduced me to a friend of his that was doing a beauty blog. And that's how I kind of got started into writing because I started writing for the beauty blog. I started just doing it for fun. And then those were kind of like my first ever like clips into getting into writing. And then just to like speed it up because I know this has been long. (laughs) From there, I ended up getting a job at like a business news site that kind of like was able to parlay my interest from like my previous experience from like doing business writing to like the business news and like the financial consulting experience that I had, which kind of like combined them. And then I started freelance writing on the side. um, And those kind of got me like my first clips and like the the fashion and beauty sites. And then it kind of just like went from there. The third product on your list mm-hmm. is retinoid. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me about, is this one that you, you mentioned that using it for hormonal acne, is that one from early on or is that a later discovery? It was from early on. I remember going through, like I had some acne in my teens. It wasn't too terrible, but it wasn't, I didn't get really truly terrible, bad hormonal acne until it was like in my twenties, like my mid twenties. And it was like, partially from like changing the the birth control pill that I was on. And it was just the stuff you hear people got like really painful, just like 
zits that were just like the kind or you didn't want to go outside and like you just didn't know how to cover them and you ones would come every single day and I didn't know what to do about it. So I tried all sorts of different things. Uh, I went to a dermatologist finally, rather than trying to like troubleshoot it my own after trying to troubleshoot my own with different acne things. And she suggested that I go on a retinoid and that was life changing. (laughs) Um, after going through like the retinoid uglies, as they call it, it like completely went away and I, I still use it to this day. And I think retinol is something is a really interesting ingredient, particularly in the mm-hmm. context of what we're in currently, which is a global pandemic. There has been some conversations about a very small silver lining of what could be is a, is about introducing those kind of ingredients while we're all home um, into our skincare regime, obviously, particularly with the 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 stronger options, it's always good to get an expert opinion before just recklessly introducing it into your skincare regime. Yes. Um, <laughs> but is there, have you noticed or been doing anything different in your skincare in this time, kind of using the opportunity is a horrible way to describe it, but change circumstances right. to introduce anything to your skincare regime? Uh, I don't think so much in skincare. I haven't worn any makeup really at all since the pandemic started. And I think that's like, uh, I think that's partially because, you know, the mask covers it. And also I haven't really felt inclined to put it on if I'm just working from home. I do think it's been like, a, like the pandemic has been an interesting way to kind of reexamine what kind of like beauty um, procedures or practices you do for yourself versus those that maybe are uh, more performative or more outward facing. And I think I've just found more kind of like joy and just kind of like simplifying things and just like, you know, like giving myself like little face massages because they feel good. Like just really doing skincare and realizing it's kind of nice not to have to like do a double cleanse every single night because I'm wearing makeup during the day. And also just to like give my uh, hair a break. I've been like doing all these deep conditioning masks as I have time. Like I used to read the the directions on a mask and I'd be like, man, who is like seven minutes to stand in a shower? <laughs> like, it's like I have to wash my hair and then I have to coat my hair in the mask for seven minutes and then rinse it out. And I'd be like, that's so boring. And then now I'm like, it's fine. It's okay. We have time to do that. We can just stand for seven minutes in the shower. Also, it's nice that we have the time to do that. <laughs> I think that's such an interesting point. It's actually, I've just done a couple of special episodes of the podcast called Beauty Isolation, Mm -hmm. talking to people about how their attitude to beauty has changed in this time. And it's so interesting, like you said, the ones that we do for ourselves, perfume has been a really interesting one, whether people Mm -hmm. have been wearing it at home, whether it's something that you do for you or whether it's something we do just when we go out the world. It's, yeah, really interesting conversations from that. I think everyone is kind of reflecting on those relationships and, and thoughts about beauty. Yeah, I think scents are like uh, hugely important. I know people love to light their candles and stuff at home, but like I haven't been really that much inclination to like burn candles. I've been trying to learn to cook. So I feel like my apartment, also partially because of like the ventilation from the cooking, is not great. So I feel like it's mostly filled with like cooking smells, which I like find really comforting. And it's true. Like I opened the cabinet the other day and I was like smelling some of my perfumes and I was like, oh, right. Like I, I used to put this on to go outside, but it's also like I could just put it on to, to stay inside too. Like it doesn't have to be just to go outside or to go and do something. You are currently the beauty director at The Cut for someone outside of the industry. And I think mm-hmm. there is a lot of misconceptions about what working in beauty is to begin with. But for someone uh, who doesn't know what 
kind of does that current role involve and what do you think is the biggest misconception about what you do? Okay. Well, I think it is true that we are surrounded by beauty products all day. I don't I think if you work in beauty at all, you're like, you're just get, you're, you're so lucky and so fortunate to be surrounded by just like various samples of everything. And so like the beauty closet is definitely a real thing. It looks like the back room of a Sephora before it got organized, like maybe during like a big sale or something like that. Um, and it is true. You can try many, many, many different things. I think the biggest misconception about being an editor or a beauty editor is maybe everyone thinking that we're just kind of out all day going to like these fabulous glamorous events when most of my time is spent like on a laptop in my bathrobe typing and editing and writing or like trying to file something from my phone or like a lot of times it's me panicking that the recording for this interview that I had didn't take and like checking it over and over again and finding like the various ways to send it to myself to make sure it didn't get deleted. Um, <laughs> I think that's probably the biggest misconception. That's also because like if it's on Instagram, I mean, I don't think people want to see me in a bathroom typing. That's not very exciting, but they do want to see um, if like, I don't know, you get to interview like Michael B. Jordan for like 15 minutes <laughs> something like that and I think it's interesting as well because like you said not you know the reality is never really quite as exciting you know the picture of you with Michael B. Jordan is going to get a lot more likes than you <laughs> at your laptop, obviously <laughs> but scrolling through your Instagram and also the interviews that you've done obviously you have had the opportunity to to meet and talk to a lot of well-known figures I think even sometimes as much, if not more, than if you worked in entertainment beauty, there is a lot of interaction with ambassadors and celebrities. Mm -hmm. um, is there anyone who you've met or interviewed in that way that really stood out to you or what would you define as kind of your biggest pinch me moment in your career? I think the biggest one actually just recently happened. It was in uh, November. And so it was an opportunity to interview Sojutan, who's like this legendary makeup artist. He's like the OG. He lives in uh, Marrakesh full time. Uh, he used to live in Paris. He's like the, like, if you're very, very into makeup, if you ask any makeup artist, if they know who Serge Dutton is, they'll probably like gasp and just like, they, they'll just be, if you told them you met him, they would just be like, oh my gosh, like, is it real? Because he's very reclusive. He doesn't like to leave Marrakesh. Um, and not many people have the opportunity to go and travel to see him. Um, he doesn't really give that many interviews, but when he does, his interviews are, it sounds like you're spe speaking to like a, a makeup sphinx or something like that. Like answers sound like riddles. Like you might be like, what is like your, your best makeup tip? And a lot of makeup artists would say something like confidence or like uh, make sure that like a little, you put a little touch of highlighter or something like that in the inner corner. And he will turn that answer into something that it just like it makes you question the very nature of like why you're even asking this question and also what the very nature of makeup itself is for. <laughs> so he is he's also one of those like makeup geniuses that is like kind as well as super creative. I mean, he has his own line, Sarjutans, which is owned by Shiseido. He was also one of the first makeup artists for Christian Dior makeup. And he has worked with like all of the greats and his he's really known for perfumes so he makes a bunch of different perfumes and like a lot of perfumes nowadays are kind of geared towards like 
love or like seduction or they don't really have like ideas, so to speak. But he has these concepts for perfume that they feel kind of like they're psychological exercises, like working through various like traumas or like things in his life. I remember he had one that was called uh, Dent du lait, which means like uh, dental milk in French, which sounds kind of gross, but it's about the memory of like losing your first, first tooth as a child. And when you smell it, it's like a little bit milky, a little bit metallic because there's a little bit of blood. Sorry, that's kind of gross. Um, but it's about like this, like power, like it's also such a powder too and sweetness. It's about this like nostalgic idea of like reliving the first time when you lose your, your tooth as a child. And like some of his perfumes, like you smell them and they're almost like they're too good. Like they're kind of uncomfortable in that way. But there are others that are like so beautiful that like have to do with like flowers and things like that, that they smell like they're, they're basically like living. And so meeting him was just like extraordinary because I had the chance to talk with him for like, I think, I think like three hours or something like that in his house. And his house is uh, six riyadhs. Maybe I'm having the number wrong, but it's some, some, some large number of riyadhs combined into one gigantic riyadh. And he's personally designed every single etching, every single door frame, every single like window, every piece of art in it by himself. And he's just like, still like a very kind, like curious man who is just like uh, super creative and is using makeup and perfume in a way that is very rare and like something I don't think we see a lot of today. That sounds incredible. I think I, I do have one of his perfumes. Yeah, it's one of my favorite ones. It it's felt like a proper like, like grown-up one. Yeah, it's interesting. You're just, uh, you know, everyone's drawn to specific scents or different like perfumes in a way that's like very, very personal. So while we are on perfumes, you do have two that you love or that have a special memory for you, a Lalabo and one from Narciso Rodriguez. So tell me about <laughs> Those two. I don't have like a like a fancy kind of like discovery story for each of those. I just remember going to a Sephora when I was like in my twenties and spraying like different clouds of perfume because I was just like, I'm gonna find my signature scent. <laughs> I like spent so much time doing it. And and then I sprayed the Narcisa Rodriguez one and I couldn't stop smelling it. I think that something about the orange flower just it reminds me, I think, of like the summers I used to spend in, in Taiwan as like a child when it was like super humid and hot. And there's just like kind of flowers from all the trees and stuff all around. I, I think that somehow that like triggers some kind of like memory in me. And I love that one specifically. And it's one of my favorites. And it's one of my friends wears it as well. And I was kind of like, we both wear it because I was like, this is like my perfume. And then I was like, I'm being silly. We can both wear it. It's okay. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't need to be like, I don't need to, I don't need to like be so possessive over this scent. And also like my boyfriend, he was trying to figure out what to get me for uh, the first birthday that we were celebrating together. And he read like an old interview that I'd done where I said it was my first, like my favorite perfume. And he like, bought me a sample of it. Although like as a beauty editor, I'm so lucky to get all these things for free. And he was like, you probably don't need this. You have this. And I was like, I do, but it's a really nice gesture. So thank you. And then Lolavo Gaik 10, it's like, this sounds like very snobby, but Lolavo has like city exclusive fragrances that they only sell in in the specific cities. So Gaik 10 is the one for Tokyo. I don't think I even discovered this in Tokyo. I don't remember where I smelled it, but like once a year they let these perfumes kind of like out of their cage and they're available worldwide so you can buy like 
you can buy like the Tokyo one, like you can buy the Tokyo or the Melbourne one or like whatever for like, I think maybe it's like a week, maybe not a day, but like for this one week. And I think that's how I discovered it. And it smells just like, like, like a good woodsy, but not woodsy in a sense that it smells like your house is on fire, which like a lot of woodsy, like uh, what's it called? Uh, the, the fire burning one that everyone likes. I, I, my, I personally don't like like scents that smell like there's a fireplace going on, but I like this one because it smells like there's, it smells like being in a forest versus like being in an environment with fire. <laughs> <laughs> Much more preferable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, beauty has become or developed to encompass not just makeup products and skincare. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot more about wellness and mental health and so many more aspects of beauty. And obviously, you have written about all all those realms. What's the proudest piece that you've hit publish on or commissioned when it comes to beauty when you look back? I did a piece not too recently about Michelle Fawn and proud of that piece because she was also... I would say after Bobby Brown, she was maybe the second person that has been influential in terms of like teaching me about makeup. And that was just because, I mean, I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people that we were watching her YouTube videos and learning how to do makeup through that. And I think it kind of unlocked the, the secrecy of makeup before you'd have to like literally watch someone do it in person and be next to them or you'd have to like read a book and then read the diagrams. Like I always remember being very frustrated looking at the back of like, an eye palette and trying to understand, first of all, my eye didn't look anything like their eye, but also like why we had to follow these three colors. Or if there's something like apple of the cheek, I was like, I don't know what that is. So I think being able to speak to her and uh, talk to her about like her, first of all, why she quit YouTube and why she's no longer on it and why she's into like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency now, but also just uh, learning from her on terms of why she started YouTube and kind of what she's on and then uh, in her next phase of life, I think has been like really interesting and I was super lucky to be able to talk to her like that. And kind of related to the opening of the industry, now it feels, and I think there definitely is, mm-hmm. there's more brands than ever, which is fantastic because it's no longer just the realm of the big beauty conglomerates. There are loads of fantastic, independent and diverse brands coming about. With that, obviously, it means there's even more products to kind of to, to wade through to find the best. As a beauty director who has beauty director, what gets you excited when it comes to beauty? What gets your notice? I know this word gets overused a lot, but I think authenticity, I think really, if it, especially if it's a small brand, but really understanding the need that they're trying to fill. Because like you said, there are so many brands in the market and I'm always curious to hear why someone is interested in starting one because it's so much work. Uh, it takes a ton of money. And like, why why does someone feel like I need to create something now? And so I think hearing uh, those kinds of stories and those rationales and kind of understanding what kind of needs you're trying to fulfill, that uh, really speaks to me. I mean, we see that that need and that kind of authenticity has led to, I think, more and more brands being aware that inclusivity and diversity is not only just something that we should do because it makes sense, but also something that makes sense for the bottom line. I mean, there are people that there are tons of people in the world and the world is there are a million different skin tones and it shouldn't be limited to just a certain amount. And so it makes business sense, but it also just makes just general like common sense to be able to fulfill those needs and have people to be able to find things for themselves. Absolutely. 
The fifth product on your list is one that I think is a staple of your own makeup bag, which is an eyelash curler. And I know that there is a particular one that you love. So tell me, <laughs> tell me what that is. And I think an eyelash curler is one of those things that if you don't use it, you might not understand why, but every beauty editor, makeup artist, it is, they always say it's such an essential tool. So tell me why you love your eyelash curler so much. I'm, I'm yeah. the same. My eyelashes point straight down and they're like, they're very straight. And so they're the kind of straight where if I see some things are curling mascara, I don't even bother with it because I know that it will not curl my lashes no matter what. They're just very stubborn in that way. And I didn't even realize that my lashes were different than other people's or what kind of effect that they like have on the overall eye look until I think I was like 15 or 16. I was at a store I had been reading so much in Allure about how eyelash curler was like a staple in every artist's makeup bag. And I finally, I was like, okay, I'll try it. And I think I was at the shoe and more counter. The person demoed it on me after initially like kind of like blinking because I think I had like poked too hard or something like that. And so I was like crying a little bit. Uh, she just did one eye. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, like this makes like, a huge difference. Like it just, it just kind of like opens your eye and just makes you look more awake and just like more alert in a way that maybe it's only noticeable to me. It's something that I still do every single day. <laughs> and there are lots of different eyelash curlers. Like some of them do look and function sort of like torture devices. They can pinch your eye. But the Shulamora one, I mean, it's famous for a reason, right? It's the one that was like had the most kind of effortless swoop. Like you want like an eyelash curler that would make your lashes have like a like a curve rather than like a sharp kind of crimp or like any kind of like 90 degree kind of bend. And so that was one I used for like a really, really long time. And then a few years ago, I got introduced to Surat Beauty's eyelash curler. I think you guys carry Surat Beauty in Australia, but it's a it's a line um, started by makeup artist Troy Surratt, who, who was a protege of Kevin O'Quan. And he has long been like a fan of Japanese cosmetics and of Japanese manufacturing. And he went and he tracked down the original factory that Shuamore used to manufacture their like OG eyelash curlers from. And he made a few improvements. So like the like, for example, the handle, it's double-barreled, and that's just, like, a little design thing so that uh, you don't press too hard. Like, it, it won't crimp your lashes. And then the the pad of the eyelash curler is just, it's, like, really, it's really cushiony without being, like, too bouncy. So it just kind of feels like it, like, hugs your eye and your eyelashes as you're crimping. It's the kind of, like, uh, eyelash curler where, like, I can do it in the morning and if I come back like at home or at night, like I'll see that my lashes are still curled all day without putting on any mascara or anything at all. Like a lot of times I don't even wear mascara because I just, I feel like the eyelash curlers makes a big difference enough. It makes enough of a difference. We talked earlier about kind of thinking about beauty in the time of coronavirus. And of course, I wanted to talk to you mm -hmm. about Donate Beauty, which is an initiative that you started with a few other journalists and editors and people in the, the beauty industry, which is about getting products to frontline and healthcare workers who are really feeling obviously the effects in every sense of the word of this global pandemic. And it has been something that it seems like the beauty industry has really jumped on. So maybe you could tell us a bit more about how it came to be, what it's doing and what the kind of future plans beyond COVID-19 are for it. So Donate Beauty started, first, my friend Shara Vishover, she was a former nurse practitioner before she was like a, a beauty journalist. And now she 
writes for like Vox and business and fashion and Vogue business and, and things like that. And she was hearing at the start of the COVID-19 crisis from colleagues or like friends of colleagues that the PPE that the nurses and healthcare workers were wearing was really, really drying out their skin. It was like causing not just dryness, but also like just severe indents and like acne because they were having to wear them for like 10 plus hours a day. And also their hands were like developing like really painful kind of like rashes and just like scaliness from having to wash them all the time. And at first the people were just like, oh, do you have any recommendations for products they can use? And Cheryl was like, well, I think that I could probably convince like a few beauty brands through the industry to like donate some products. And so she sent out a tweet kind of to that nature and a few people, uh, myself, um, my friend Christina, and Caroline Moss, we all saw her tweet, responded to it, and then that's kind of how Donate Beauty started. <laughs> we're lucky through our work that we know a lot of like PR contacts and brands were just instantly like super, super, super generous and wanting to donate. And so I think to date, we've donated close to 500,000 products to, I think, like 500 plus hospitals across the US and to, I'm not even sure how many healthcare workers. I think it's like hundreds of thousands now. But it's really just a way to, first of all, thank the healthcare workers for everything they're doing, but also just to give them a, a little sense of normalcy. Um, I remember getting an email from one of the healthcare workers and she was saying that, you know, it's not about trying to be beautiful at this time because they can't even wear any kind of makeup or anything like beneath the masks, but it's really just, a, it's just like a, something that helps with morale and, you know, their skin wouldn't normally be this dry. They wouldn't normally have to work all these hours. And it's just a little way to kind of restore a little sense of normalcy in their lives. Incredible. And as I said, it's such a, an amazing initiative, not only to just I suppose it it talks a bit about that beauty is so much more than just like a product you can put on your face. It's really about mm -hmm. how it can make you feel, particularly in these times. And also just a, a reminder that so often when you feel helpless in these situations, there are always things that you can do to do your little bit. So as I've said many times, I just think it's um, an incredible thing. So as I said, I don't know, congratulations, well done. <laughs> I'm just like, fantastic so idea. <laughs> We are getting to the final few products on your list. And before I would like to ask you a few questions about your own yeah. beauty collection or makeup bag, a good one to start is a product that you feel like you give, gives you a bit of, of a confidence boost, which is the Chanel Rouge Allure Velvet Lipstick. And I know that you often do your um, Who Lips posts on Instagram, <laughs> which I really love. So tell me about this particular lipstick. So I'm not super great at makeup. I'm, I'm okay. But I feel like the one thing I can do is put on a lipstick and I wouldn't say that this is a special talent but like I I do think that if you someone were to be like what color lipstick looks good on me I think I'd come one out for you <laughs> and find your ideal red or ideal nude color ideal pink or, or whatever it is and so I just started doing the whole lip things like a few years ago and it's just because I think like a, a putting on a little bit of color on your lips or on your face it's just like an easy way to kind of change up your look. I think if you're in an event, obviously people are looking at your mouth, they're looking at your face and there's a lot of interest and stuff there. And I think like red, uh, especially like I, I really like like a lived in kind of like a red color. Like it looks like it's almost part of you even wearing it for a while, you've been wearing it throughout the day. And so I always like the Chanel Rouge Allure Velvet Lipsticks because they're they're super creamy. As the name suggests, it has like a velvety texture and the colors are just like really, really beautiful and sensational. Like 
you'll look and you'll be like, why these red colors all look the same. And then you try them on and you're like, oh, actually these are all very, very different. And they see very, very different skin tones. And the colors are just not like the colors you see other places. Like I think a lot of times in ranges you'll see like, oh, there's like one blue red and there's one like orange red and there's one like, you know, you can kind of like see like where people were going with that. But I think with the colors, which Chanel, it always feels like they're just choosing colors that they feel like are interesting and that they think are like truly going to look good on people. It is your job to try be to try and be testing a lot of products. But when it comes to your own makeup bag, the things that kind of make it home with you, are you a minimalist or a maximalist when it comes to like the size of your makeup bag at home? My whole apartment is basically like a makeup bag. So it's just like, <laughs> they're just like uh, products everywhere. So it's definitely not super curated at home, I would say. It's definitely maximalist. But I think that when I travel and things like that, it's definitely more minimalist. I won't like try to bring more than one of anything. If anything, I'll bring like multiple lipsticks. So again, I think it's like a, an easy way to switch up your look from like one night to the other or something like that. But if, if it's also just because I try to like carry on, especially if it's like a short trip. So I always try to make sure my makeup bag is not that big. So I don't take full sizes of foundation. I only take like tiny little samples. I take like the beauty blender. That's like my only like real makeup tool. Maybe like one eye brush. The eyelash curler was just take a makeup room. Let's see. Under eye concealer. I love the Clay de Peau Beauté like concealer. That one's been one that I've been using forever. I think I've gone through like eight tubes. I, I purchased this a lot for myself before I was even a beauty editor. And it's one one of the few things that I think has like stood by me from before as a beauty editor to now that I, I don't think there's anything better than that. And let's see, a brown eyeliner is what I'd bring with me. Um, like a little like contour palette. And I think that's it for the makeup bag <laughs> if I travel. I know this sounds like a lot of things, but then again, I think we understand now that no makeup makeup is not actually no makeup. It's really like 12 products to make you look like you're not wearing makeup at all. I thought that was a very refined collection. (laughs) (laughs) And when it comes to lipstick, obviously there are a few schools of thought. When it comes to application, are you a straight from the bullet and then a liner or liner before from your own experience and obviously all the experts that you've interviewed? What's your go-to lipstick application for longevity? I still like doing it straight from the tube. And then just doing like a, a blot after. I don't do that obviously with a liquid lipstick because there's kind of no need for that. But I do like with a Chanel lipstick, I'll just put it straight on. I know that some makeup artists say you should start from the middle of your mouth and then kind of like work out. But I still like just going from like corner to corner. And then like I clean up any kind of mistakes or anything like that with like a makeup brush. I also like, this is like a, a tip that Pat McGrath taught me, which is again, a sentence I never thought I would say, but... <laughs> Taking like your index finger, she says your index finger specifically because uh, the amount of pressure that you use your index finger, like it's not too hard, but uh, dabbing your index finger in the lipstick and then just using that to kind of press the lipstick into like the, like the edges of your lip. And it creates like a, a little definition, but not as sharply defined as say like using a lip liner, but it just like makes them look a little more full and it just like makes the lipstick look like it's more like a part of you rather than like you actually just like putting a color on your face. It just looks more like organic and your lips just look like like you woke up with that color. Even though it's a red color, no one wakes up with that color. Brilliant. I love that tip. (laughs) The final product on your list 
is the Armani Luminous Silk Foundation. And I love that you said that this product is the one that really showed you that the difference between <laughs> sometimes products that are $5 or $50. So tell me a bit more about that. I think I read about this product again before I was beauty editor. And it was just on all of the magazines, like best of lists. And I went to like an Armani counter, like after work one day, they swatched me. I went home, I put it on like the next day and I was like, oh my gosh, like my skin looks amazing. And it was like, like you said, it was like the first time that I really understood like why, like the difference between like a luxury foundation versus like a a drugstore foundation or the luxury product versus like a non-luxury product. Like it was just like the ease and the quality and like the kind of look it gave my skin after was something that I just felt like, I know people say the word expensive skin now and it's like a thing, but like it was like the first time that I was like, oh, my skin looks like expensive. Like I look just like flawless and like smooth. And it was something that like looked natural, but it just looked like so amazing that I was like, I understand why this is $60 and it is worth the $60. <laughs> and it's still one of my uh, favorite foundations today. Who is someone who has really shaped or inspired you either personally or professionally? Well, I think definitely my, my mom has inspired me a lot with beauty. Uh, because she was the first person that I saw. I mean, she was my first like vision or ideal of beauty, right? I think that's the case with a, a lot of people. She was the first person that I remember doing skincare. That was like my entryway into any kind of beauty. And she was into skincare before it became kind of the craze it was today. Like she always was like, you don't have to wear as much makeup if you really take care of your skin. And she was so fanatical about skincare beyond just putting on products, but also making sure that we avoided the sun. Like she would take extreme measures to make sure we avoided the sun. And she does that for herself too. Like she has elbow length gloves that she drives in. She has many different hats that look like beekeeper hats that she wears when she goes outside and she gardens. She would always make sure that I was putting on sunscreen. When we went to a vacation to Hawaii as like a child, we were the only people that came back from like a tropical vacation that had like zero tan because we only were allowed to go in the sun like in the early hours of the day. And I mean, that's also like partially uh, because she didn't want us to get tan because of sun damage, but also like because she wanted to protect us from skin cancer. And so I think she's probably been the most influential in terms of beauty and kind of shaping the way that I view it and kind of my beauty philosophy today. Beautiful. I love that. Kathleen, you've talked me through the eight products that have a special memory or meaning for you or that you know deserve a mention in this now you said that it was hard enough to pick those eight so I'm going to ask you what might be an impossible question which is as I send you off to Beauty Island and I tell you you can only take one of these with you one of the products that you've spoken about today doesn't have to be practical it can be for what they represent or how they make you feel which single product would you take with to your desert island now i am really bummed that i didn't say a sunscreen because obviously a sunscreen should be number uh, one <laughs> i i give you a, i give you a sunscreen so you don't need to worry okay. about that We're okay very, very you'll, give me, islands. you'll give me the sunscreen i think uh i would take the probably the eyelash curler because it makes me feel most like myself and second runner-up would probably be the perfume both for nostalgia reasons and because perfume is highly flammable and so i feel like i need to start a fire that could be useful as well in a, in a disaster situation. <laughs> I love that you have nailed the perfect balance between nostalgia and practicality. Genius. Yes. 
Thank you so much for your time today. It's been so lovely to chat through your beauty journey and your beauty memories. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much. This is so fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the incredible Kathleen Ho. You can find where to follow her, where to read her work, plus all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, I have interviewed a number of other beauty editors and beauty directors that you might enjoy listening to. Might I recommend my two-part episode with Kelly Baker all the way back in season one, the former beauty and health director of the Australian Women's Weekly, or have a listen to Stephanie Darling. She is the beauty director at Fairfax with a weekly column in Sunday Life. And she was also the beauty director at Vogue Australia for over a decade, as well as a number of other iconic Australian magazines. She's often uh, referred to as kind of the mama of all the beauty editors on the Australian media scene. So definitely recommend listening to that one. It doesn't stop there. Sarah Tarker, who was the former editor of Girlfriend magazine and former beauty director of Marie Claire Australia, back also back in season one. And there are plenty more. Amy Starr, Lisa Petulny, Sigourney Cantello, Nadine Baggett, Alexis Teasdale, Joanna Fleming, Paula Joy, and many more. So as I said, if you enjoyed this episode, there are plenty more previous episodes for you to devour and listen to if you fancy chatting more beauty there are a number of options you can find me on instagram at beauty island podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany beauty bts where i regularly share products i'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture or sign up to my beauty newsletter it's a beauty for my beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox thank you so much for listening and until next time bye bye